0: While they're transitioning out, I want to say something here. I'm preparing to leave for Nashville this afternoon to go to the annual convention of the Southern Baptist in Nashville. And uh, you probably will see something in the news about the SBC this week. There is a very high chance you will see it. Let me say a couple things to prep you for it. First of all, we're a convention of churches. So what that means is we cooperate together for several endeavors, but mainly, and one of our main points is, for missions. Uh, it's a bit like a big family and you got all different types of people in the family, don't you? And sometimes you have family fights. You ever have a family fight? Except with Southern Baptist Convention, instead of just being a family fight behind closed doors, people from NPR and all these secular organizations get invited in and they can write about it. So, basically, don't believe everything you read. Uh, If you have a question about anything, I'd be happy to answer it. Uh, You know, there's, like anything, there are differing opinions. And this is the first time (laughs) Since I've been going to Southern Baptist meetings that we've had, I've never seen a convention with over 10,000 people, and this year in Nashville, there are 17,000 messengers signed up to go, so it is, it's a large one, so anyhow, so be praying for that. All right, with that out of the way, let's now turn our attention to more important matters, namely the Gospel of Luke. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke 9, and I'm actually going to read down through 17 this morning. That was a misprint on my part. Uh, about Jesus here calling and sending out the twelve and we're going to see not only that, we're going to see a quick scene with Herod, we're going to see a contrast there between them and the disciples and then we're going to see a miracle a miracle that is only recorded this is one of the only miracles that's recorded in all four gospels apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that is the feeding of the five thousand. So if uh, something's important, you say it once, you say it twice if it's really important, you say it three times if not four. So we're going to unfold that look at some very important things that are there and some principles to be seen. So with that in mind, let's look at the Word of God together this morning. Hear the Word of God. <clears throat> he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no nor bread nor money and do not have two tunics whatever you enter a house stay there for that uh, there then to depart we'll talk about that in just a minute what that means whenever they do not receive you when you leave that town shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere now Herod, the tetriarch, heard about all these things happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Remember, this is the guy that killed John the Baptist. Luke leaves some of those details out, but we know from the other Gospels that a woman, a beautiful woman, danced, and he said, I'll give you anything. What do you want? She asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter, and that's what he delivered. So John the Baptist was headed there. Luke doesn't concentrate on that. He's concentrating on other things here. John had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a place called Bethesda. Then the crowds leaned in, They followed him, and and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cures those with need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away so it can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. By the way, is anybody here reading the King James Bible? It says, uh, for the provisions it says, Vittles. Do you, does anybody know what that is? Have you ever heard that word? Have, has anybody here ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies, that old show in black and white? Vittles are the bare essentials of a meal, right? That's what the. I just thought that was funny. I, I wanted to bring it up. Use that word this week in a conversation. Have you had your vittles today? Right? There you go. Provisions, for they were here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat, they said. We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to get go and buy food for these people, for there were about five thousand men, and he said to his disciples, "Have them sit down in the ground, about fifty each." And they did so. And they and had them all sit down. Then, taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of His holy, inerrant, and infallible Word. And I pray He writes this truth on all of our hearts. There is a there is a change. There is a turn in Luke chapter nine. It's different than the previous chapters. Remember in chapter eight when we were on this tour of miracles with Jesus, He would heal somebody he would tell the girl uh, whenever he brought her back from the dead, what did he tell the family when he drew the curtains and kept that small inner circle in there of the parents? Tell who? Tell nobody. And all the way back, all through chapter 8, as he performed these miracles, what did he say? Tell no one. Here in 9, there's a change. He is doing something different. What's the first thing that we come across in this text? chapter 9, we learn first and foremost, he called, right? So let's spend just a minute talking about the call of God. Because it's important that we see this. Pay attention to verbs. Always pay attention to verbs uh, in, in passages like this. In 9 verse 1, it says he called. He calls them over. These 12, these hand-picked apostles, they're about to go out. They're going to do the opposite of what he said the whole time. He was telling them, shh, say nothing, don't say nothing, when the demon tried to proclaim who he was, should be quiet now he's saying, you go out and you tell them, okay, there is a call, that call still stands, you know, there is a mistake that many people make sometimes they think Christianity is just about them being saved and going to heaven, that's not true Christianity is not just about you being saved and going to heaven you know what that does, when you think Christianity is, is that, is simply that boils down to that That makes Christianity all about me. If that were true, if Christianity was merely just to have you be saved and go to heaven, then we would all have experienced a Star Trek thing when we got saved. The moment you repented of your sins and trusted Christ, beam me up, Scotty, you're out and you're in heaven. That's not what happens. What happens to most of us? Some people get to go to heaven immediately following conversion. I'm not saying it never happens, but most of us, that's not the normative experience the normative experience is you are saved and once you are saved you are called to do what you are called to follow the instructions that Jesus gave in the Great Commission right you are called to go therefore and make disciples of all people you are called to the Great Commandments you are called into a worship covenant community of other believers you're called to be there Jesus gives you all those callings in his teaching so you're called to do all of these things the disciples were called to do something very similar, to go, preach, and teach. Now, their calling was a little different, and I'll talk about that in the next two, but it's the same nonetheless. And even within a call, as Christians, there's a deeper call still. I was just reading an article this week. Did you know we're about to hit a shortage of pastors in the United States? It's kind of... They're, they're saying as baby boomers age out, there are not enough trained, skilled ministers to take positions. Oh, don't get me wrong always find somebody to stand in the pulpit and say something. But are they going to say something that is truly the Word of God and something that's going to move the church where they need to be and are truly called by God? That's a different matter. Let me see if I can describe this to you. What does it mean to be called to ministry? Maybe some of you here today are, are beginning to feel that or that. Well, I think I would classify it as this. It is a, it is a God-inspired desire one that is placed by the Lord to preach and teach the gospel to others. It is a desire that is not easily quenched. My mentoring pastor, Vic Wallace, would say, it's like describing Jeremiah, it's a fire in the bones to preach and teach that. Uh, It's not easily quenched. Some have walked away from it. Becky's home church, there was a guy who was called to pastoral ministry Guys to go into ministry, they don't go into ministry so they can work two days a week. The ministers work quite a bit; it's just not always seen in front of everybody. Uh, they're highly successful in other disciplines. But he was the most miserable soul you would ever know. He told that when she left, to "Go to Southern." Said, uh, "I wish I followed my calling." Miserable. I remember my own when my church affirmed it, First Baptist Fall Branch, uh, Friday night. My mentoring pastor's wife, Dot, she went home to be. told me, she said, you know, being called to ministry is more important than being called to the President of the United States, because the President of the United States is just appointed by the people, or at least we do right. So what, what is it that we're to think about this, how do we think about this? Well, Jesus called them, Jesus is still calling us. We have much work to do after salvation, because the main goal of salvation and coming to Christ is not just so that we can get out of hell God is zealous for His own glory. And when He saves people, it's His desire that we become zealous for His glory too and spread that message to as many as possible. So we are called. He calls them together. And then what does He do? He gives them something. Look what He gives them in these verses here. Verses 1 and 2 here. he, He gives them power and authority. Have you ever thought about the difference between power and authority? Power is the ability to do something. Right, uh, And then authority is the right to use it. So I could get a couple of my friends here at Grace who have carried permits. We could set up, we have the power to set up a uh, stop traffic brigade here and stop every car that comes down Broad Street. But do we have the authority to do that? We don't have the right to do that, do we? Jesus here is giving them two things. He's giving them power, the ability to do, and he is giving them authority to do that. And what is their message? He's telling them to go out and preach the kingdom of God. What what do they have power over and authority over? He tells them he has power over disease and over demonic activity. We've already seen Jesus demonstrate that in his ministry. Third thing we see in this opening here is Jesus commissions them out. Is that he is sending them. How many of you all like to travel? I like to travel. A few of you. I, uh, I want you to meet me next week. Where we stay, God will decide. We'll decide when we get there. God will point us the way. Who's ready to go? Don't even bring a change of clothes. Right? Go now. Calls them in together, sends them out just as they are. Don't bring a firearm. You're not going to need protection like that. Right? So don't don't bring your staff. Don't bring something to fend off, bend off the wolves and and, uh, and and bears and things. None of that. Right? It, is this, first of all, we have to ask one question. We have to say, is this prescriptive for the New Testament church? So is this how we're supposed to approach missions as New Testament Christians? Or is this descriptive of a particular point Jesus is making in a principle that we see? If it's prescriptive, then that means that any time that we have a missionary that's sending a crate, a lot of times they'll get one of these like big crates that you see on ships, stuff, stuff with their things, they're violating this. That's not what it is, right? It's not it's not about just leaving stuff behind. What Jesus is doing here is he's communicating there is an urgency to the mission. There is an urgency to the gospel. If you found out today that your closest loved one was on their deathbed and they had called for you to come, would you pack a bag? Would you make sure you had money in your pocket? Would you make sure that you had uh, a change of clothes? Or would you just go? You would just go, right? There is an urgency that is needed there. Jesus here in this instruction is highlighting the urgency that the gospel go out, that it go out quickly, that it go out clearly. Now, one thing that we see here uh, in these verses, I want you to look at this as we unpack this together here. Take nothing, it says here. Don't even take two tunics. That was surprising to me because, you know, you don't even have to change clothes for a trip. You get to a point. Yes, it's a hygiene issue. You got a hygiene issue if you don't have clothing to change into, right? Uh, but Jesus here tells them, don't even take that. All right, now he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there, verse four, and from there depart. That sounds a little weird and strange the way it's constructed. But let me explain what he's saying. When they were to, they were sent out without Jesus. They're going to go and they're going to be sent to these different communities to preach the gospel home that receives them. They are to go there and stay. They're to feed them, clothe them, help them with wash, whatever is needed. Alright, if they go to that town and the people are open to the gospel and they've been preaching there for a day or two, first day maybe they got in at, you know, the lower income side of the, of the town. They were the first to adopt it, which is not uncommon with the gospel. But then as they've been there a while, some of the rich folk on the west side of town. They are like, you know what, you can come stay with us. If you get tired of staying where you are, come stay with us. And then you would have this weird, awkward situation where the disciples would have to be like, hey, listen, it's been, it's been real, it's been fun, but it's not been real fun. I'm going to go ahead and go across town and stay with these people where the accommodations are a little nicer. And I think that would create an unnecessary offense, right? Uh, and so Jesus says, don't do that. You stay where you're sent. You know, it may be a standard of living you're not used to and lower than what you want. Uh, they may be even pagans, they may practice pagan things that you're not used to. stay in the house anyway. If they receive you, stay in there. What's the principle there? What's the principle there for, for Christians? Well, I think the principle is this. They're preaching, they're going to the people and giving the gospel to is to be indiscriminate. What does that mean? You don't get to pick who the elect is. Right? Just because somebody lives in a certain position or a certain place, don't get to say I'm not going to go there I'm not going to take them the gospel It's not how this works you don't get to pick the elect, that's God's job your job is to make sure that every person in your proximity hears the gospel indiscriminately, that you take the gospel to every person in your in your circle of influence that you know whatever town place that is and, and it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter how much money they make it doesn't matter where they live it doesn't matter the color of their skin you give them all the gospel all the same as if God is calling them all equally to come together right get an amen maybe later right. maybe later so another thing here though what happens when this gospel is preached well we see it creates division verse 4 whenever you enter a house don't depart verse 5 whatever you do not when someone does not receive you you leave them, look what it it is here. It says, leave that town, and what's it say, church? Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. What's going with that? Well, here's the reality of it. there by God's grace and mercy. Now they may not accept it. He makes that very, very clear. If God is not working in somebody's life, if they're not, if he's not working and engaged in their soul, man, you might as well be talking to a doorknob about the gospel. it's not going anywhere. you ever been in a conversation like that? Talking to somebody, God's spirit. What about the provisions that they had here? It says here they went out, they departed, went to the villages, they preached the gospel, and they healed everywhere, they healed bodies, healed souls with the gospel. That's what it does. So God in this text here gave them everything they needed for the journey. I want to tell you a little something about what happened to me in another the, the church, far away. From didn't necessarily like my preaching. They didn't like it being gospel-centered. They didn't care for uh, my leading, my preaching. So they began to ratchet up, and they tried to make my life difficult as a minister. And the way that they tried to make it difficult was they would stop giving to general fund. you know, just sitting your tithe, in it, and wanted to, like, buy tables and different now moving forward now Herod the patriarch heard about all this happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had raised from the dead but that some Elijah had appeared so uh, he's trying to make sense of he knows he has executed the forerunner of Jesus, Jesus' cousin John the Baptist, we knew he was in prison from a previous chapter and a previous sermon here and he's trying to make sense of who this Jesus person is he is perplexed by him, right? Here's the reality of what we're seeing with Herod here. He is being contrasted contrast against the disciples. Herod is a man who has it all. He rules half of that providence of Israel of the day. His brother Philip the road, rules the other half. He is rich by the world's standards. He has all the money he can want. He's surrounded by beautiful women. Any man of the world would be envious of all that he has. And yet, Herod... that with what we just saw with the disciples. The disciples are sent out by Jesus. What do they have by worldly standards? Do they have money? They got no money. Do they have clothes? They got no clothes. Don't see anything in here about wives being with them. They've got nothing by those standards, by physical standards here. And yet the disciples possess what? They possess everything because they possess Christ, don't they? So in this passage here, what we're seeing it's a contrast, a sharp contrast between a wicked man of the world who's higher and one of the elites of his day, and he just doesn't get it. But the average Joes, they get it. That's why people like us. The Bible tells us God uses the foolish shame things to do what? Shame the wisdom of the world. That's why God can take mouth people like us. We get it. There are people. they possess everything this world can have they have nothing and finally we turn our attention to this Other, the other Gospels tell us that when the, the disciples came back, he wanted a report from them. They kind of go into this reporting. Luke hints at that, but he doesn't focus on that. And he withdraws them to a place. Uh, King James, I think, even says it's a desert place. It was a place out of the way. He was wanting to hear back from them what had happened on this preaching journey, uh, this, you know, under the power and the authority and the call that he had sent them out on. How had it gone? Who had come to know? How did it affect them? Probably kind of like a deep debriefing. But you know how it was. You know how it is in small town. Word gets around. We don't need social media because so we're good at calling people around our mouth, right? Let's just be honest. Word gets out, they know where Jesus is. And the masses go to where he is. And they start pressing in on him. Now, if I was one of the disciples, it would irk me a little bit, right? I would be like, you folks need to back up. Don't don't we spend What's Jesus' reaction in this passage? Does he send them away once they figure out where they are in this, this this desolate place? No, he welcomes them in, right? He welcomes them in. He begins preaching to them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And he starts healing them. He starts meeting their needs. He he does that. There's a principle there, right? The interruptions sometimes are the real ministry, aren't they? They're sometimes the real the thing that we think it's the real ministry and always the real ministry. Sometimes it's the interruption. And as the day goes on here, we learn... The disciples see something that's very important. The disciples see the fact these people are hungry. They're going to need somewhere to sleep. Some of these people have traveled for miles all over Galilee. They're not going to be able to make it home for the night. They've got to find somewhere to lay their head down tonight. we got to cut these people loose, right? we we got to let them go. They see the need. They turn to Jesus. And, and how do they handle it here? What do, what do they ask Jesus here here, the crowds learned it, they followed him, uh, and they said, Send the crowd, verse 12, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to find lodging, get provisions. We are here in a desolate place. All right, so they recognize the need. These people got to get some victuals, these people need something to eat. they need somewhere to sleep. I mean, it's not our problem, It's not making it our problem. I mean, that's, that's government's problem, right? I mean, those people that, the people that aren't going to be able to afford a Christmas here in Carter County, you know, the ones that the counselor's been talking to you about the school, they're on an appropriate program, right? That shouldn't be our problem, should it? We've got to be careful sometimes, right? Sometimes God sends a need our way, and He does expect us to. Everybody who comes and sticks their hand out is a legitimate case. So long. Right? Send the crowd away. It's amazing to me the way that they think about this when they just came off the mission field with nothing. Right? Here's what we learn in this uh, Jesus is going to give these people their necessities, isn't it? Not necessarily everything they want, but their necessities here. And the disciples, you would think, them of all people would know Jesus is God. He can see the day is waning on. The sun is setting. He can see they have a need for food. He can see they need a place to rest. So, what does he do? Well, he does what any good Baptist would do. He starts organizing. like to do this, I don't like to use the Greek words very much because I had a Greek professor in seminary he said this, he said that using Greek in sermons is a lot like underwear you want it for good support but you don't want it to show, so, but there's something in Luke I want to draw out here with you for just a second, and that's this, there's a there's a Greek word alright climb alright, and cleleg uh, kle, like we have recliners, right? You Ever wonder where the Greek word comes from? That there's a Greek foundation for that word. What do you do in a recliner? You lay back, don't you? Or you go, you sit at rest. He tells them to, and it's just unique to Luke to uh, sía there, klesia, That's the that's the Greek word. That's the pronunciation. He tells them to sit down, plesia, Uh And you know they would sit down when they would eat meals. They'd be triclosia, you have to get down on the ground recline at a three-legged table there, triclosia, recline down low. What's interesting to me is his choice there, because it sounds a lot like a play on words. There's a word that he uses in the New Testament when he talks about the birth of the church, and that word is, the word that's used for church is eklosia, right? So what's interesting to me about this, this is uniquely Luke, okay? Uh, They're supposed to recline there, and they're supposed to feast on what Jesus gives them here. And then in the New Testament in Acts, Dr. Luke is going to point out the fact that the church, the ecclesia, will feast on Christ. Isn't that interesting? This is, this feeding of the 5,000, this is what I think this means. This feeding of the 5,000 is a foreshadow of what the church will be. The church will be the place where the people gather together and they feast on who Jesus is. Right? They're going to feast on who Christ is. Let's see what Jesus does here, though, to perform this miracle so that we can, and we'll circle back around to that. minute. Jesus does this. First of all, Jesus uses what the disciples has. He said to them, you give them something to eat. You know, I, I think about what that means. Like, what would you do if you were a disciple, right? Would you be like, uh, all we got is five loaves and two fish. I mean, a meal for one large man, maybe a meal for two smaller people. just start passing out what you have and when the bread runs out, it runs out, which isn't going to be much past the first group, right? I I didn't know what they were thinking, but you've got to remember they had just healed people with authority and power. They had just cast out diseases with the authority and power that Jesus had given them. Tell me something. Did it ever cross their mind or did it ever cross your mind to think the demons who are ravenous? What does the Bible say about Satan? the authority to cast out demons like that who are just seeking to devour anybody who will come close by. Will it be 5,000 empty stomachs who seek to devour whatever they can that will be the undoing of who Jesus is? Or will he be able to handle 5,000 hungry stomachs that long to devour something with ease? Right? Give them something to eat. We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy some food for all the other people, they still just didn't get it. They didn't get the fact that Jesus can provide, that Jesus will handle this, right? Maybe if, he would have, if they would have just listened and started handing out the food, it might have multiplied then. I don't know. But then just to make the point, just to make it clear on who Jesus is, and might I say there are principles we're going to learn here and what he does with what they have. He's going to use what they have Some of you come into church. What they have, he blesses it, and then he does something else interesting. take place. Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it. You know, some of you come in here and you think, gosh, I can't can't be used of God. I've had such loss in my life. Pastor, you don't understand what I have lost. You don't understand what I was and what I am now. You don't I, I don't even understand how God can even take what I have been given away to the to the place he's taken it. He has cut me to the bone. I've been cut to the quick. How could I ever be of use? And yet what we're reminded of here, this principle that emerges as Jesus breaks the bread, is as he holds that bread and breaks it and gets ready to use it to bless 5,000 people, that may just be the beginning. debate among scholars whether or not he's he passing it to the disciples whether it begins multiplying whether the disciples are passing the bread out and the fish out and begins multiplying my question is what maybe it happened when Jesus did it maybe it happened when the disciples did it what does it matter what matters is what was needed to meet the need was meant Jesus used what they had Jesus blessed what they had In the past, or something I have seen, is you can tell a difference in people who are feasting on who Christ is rich, because those people have contentment that cannot be faked. They have a contentment that cannot be faked. Contentment in Christ is an essential consequence. breaks us, a couple things happen we got nowhere else to turn we've got nowhere else to go but to just fully and completely rely on Him even as we are blessed and broken and given to the world we can see clearly those who spend their time feasting on who Christ is are those who are most used. A pastor that I, I know was in the ministry for a long time I think loved the Lord is Pastor Bob Polk I asked him one time, I said, Bob, how did you stay faithful during the hard times of ministry? What kept you kind of centered?" You know, he told me, Travis, I stayed in the house. I stayed close to Jesus. He's saying, I feasted on Christ. I feasted on Christ. Jesus here is giving us this beautiful picture. To feast more than just on the bread and the loaves, but to feast on... What about you? You know, this is why I see precious Christians. I'm going to be real honest and real real here. I'm going to, it's one preacher I like to listen to, I'm going to put this in your kitchen, okay? Pastor, I've counseled couples before. And I've seen situations where the wife was the most godly spirit. come into my office complaining Pastor my workplace is toxic there's not a single believer in anybody around anybody I work with on my shift I have to sit and listen to the most vile muck you've ever seen I'm quitting lunch I don't even eat with them no more. I can't take it tragedies tragedies that are so deep I would even be embarrassed to compare my own to what is it that makes them able in those broken states to go on feasting on Christ what about you you're good giving Jesus what you have you're good with him blessing it but when we get to that broken part that's hard group was satisfied that you filled them you used it in a way that was miraculous in a similar fashion here Lord for those whose stomach is roaring who has not found their fill or satisfaction in anything the world offers God we know that we chase after beauty we will forever die a thousand deaths as age set in as we we tell you that we trust in our intellect, we will forever feel a fraud. We trust in money, Lord. We know